Support for this episode comes from Lexus. What emotion fits in the palm of your hand? Can you wield the power of gravity? What does exhilaration sound like? Only Lexus asks questions like these because they believe the most amazing machines aren't inspired by machines. They're inspired by you. Not only has Lexus asked these questions, they've answered them. Discover the answers at Lexus.com curiosity. Lexus. Experience amazing. Our most intimate experience can be our greatest inspiration. The place where ideas are born. But what if those ideas stay in hiding? What if they never have the chance to be shared? This show creates a safe space for giving talks anonymously. We value ideas over identity, substance over style. You cannot talk publicly about it. impacted my whole life. I just don't have the constitution to get up on a stage and give a talk. I never told from TED and Audible, this is Sincerely X. It was the first day of my sentence. I would spend the next two weeks in solitary. I laid there like a mummy in the dark windowless cell trying to suppress the rising panic. That one deliberate choice, anything good about me, was gone that day. Led me into a deep, dark hole of deception that some people never climb out of. This man in solitary confinement did something wrong. He was in a bind at work, he was tempted to cheat, and he did. The idea he is about to share was born behind bars and inspired by the people he met there. I'm June Cohen, your host, and on this program, we search for ideas in hiding. Ideas that could never be given on the TED stage, but which deserve to be shared. Now, I've worked with hundreds of speakers during my years at TED, but I've never encountered someone quite like this. Today's speaker served seven years in a federal prison, and I'm not exactly sure what I expected when I first called this ex-con, but it wasn't this. Yeah. I'm going to try to hold myself together here. It's going to be tough. Okay. It was this overwhelming desire to give back, to uh, to to really give back and to try and reach and help as many people as possible to say it is possible to get your life back together, even when you're the one that created all the circumstances that basically ruined your life. This overwhelming desire to give back came through in every interaction with the speaker. He's been out of jail for years, has a good job, and he knows exactly why he wants to give this talk. It's all for the guys he met inside. I kept thinking to myself, why is this person in here? such a waste of, of human capital. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I got in here because I deserve to be in here. But what was worse was seeing people who did not even belong in there. Now, 
You may have a preconceived notion about the people in prison. I know I did. But for me, the speaker utterly changed the way I think about felons. He made me realize the way we write them off. The label of felon, ex-con, is so powerful that it's actually wrong to judge someone that way. It's just wrong. If you think about it, someone like me, I'm, I'm as soft as they get, pretty much. Uh, I'm just telling it like it is. I'm as soft as they get. But I remember people who I thought should have been tougher than me crying in their beds every night. Seeing the true nature of his fellow inmates led him to the idea he'll share that prison works. It changes people, but we can do better by those people once they're released. And their untapped potential is something we can benefit from. Yes, of course, they're hardened criminals that deserve to be in there. But I would want people to know that there are people in there who are incredibly talented and brilliant and who have had no advantages in their life. Now, typically, TED speakers give their talks on stage to a large audience in a darkened theater. But this anonymous speaker came to an obscure recording studio and gave his talk just to me. The talks on this program come from individuals who have chosen to remain anonymous. Some of the voices have been modified to help protect their anonymity. You won't know their names, and I suggest that you don't try to figure out who they are. Suspend judgment. Just listen. I was a hedge fund manager. It was March 2001, and the markets were crashing. I made a bad trade and changed a single number on a spreadsheet, confident that I could make it back. That one deliberate choice led me into a deep, dark hole of deception that some people never climb out of, some people never climb into. There were many extenuating circumstances in my life at the time that led to the decision. I was fighting a brain tumor. I was scared and embarrassed. But that's not the story I'm here to tell you. When I changed that number, it was like a balloon untethered. And reality escaped with it. Anything good about me was gone that day. I had lied to my investors and betrayed their trust. I turned myself in, and life faded to black. Six years later, I was awakened at 3 a.m. by a flashlight shining directly into my eyes. The guard grinned, and my first thought was, happy freaking birthday. My orange jumpsuit was way too tight, and I laid there like a mummy in the dark windowless cell. 
trying to suppress the rising panic. It was the first day of my sentence, inside a prison. I would spend the next two weeks in solitary before being released onto the general compound for the next seven years. Getting out of the hole is like being released from prison, but you're still in prison. The feeling of freedom is fleeting, but I had other things on my mind. I was a white guy about to walk into a packed prison unit. Until I showed my paperwork, they would assume I was a pedophile. When my new Sally told me he was serving life for killing a snitch, I was so scared that I wet my bed that night. In the months and years that followed, I came to two strong conclusions. The first is that prison is effective. It was hours of boredom punctuated by flashes of violence. I had a lot of time to think about how I got there. For people like me, who deserve to be there, and who are forced to reflect on where their lives went wrong, it works. But the hardest thing for me to confront was my fellow inmates, because I deserved to be there. Many of them didn't. I was given every chance in life. Most of them had none. And through my years inside and the years since, I've thought continuously about how we might even the score, how we can use this prison years as a true chance to turn life around for inmates, and how that might benefit everyone. The prison population was an incoherent mess. Local cons, white-collar criminals, mobsters, psychos, and pedophiles. But once inside the block, we all had to live together. And what I saw in my fellow inmates was shocking. Resourcefulness, ingenuity, sheer brilliance. I'm still haunted by a conversation that I had with another inmate down at the yard who spotted me as being clearly out of place. He was a kid from the streets, brash, outspoken, and curious. After a few games of chess, he zeroed in and asked me, you had all the opportunities in life, so why the F are you here? I'm supposed to be here. He was right. He was asking me, why would I make such a choice when as a young black man, he was expected to go to jail? My prison counselor's first words were, we want to know if you're a good guy or not. And I'm thinking, well, of course I'm a good guy. But that self-perception would change over time. It's this self-awakening you 
realize that what you did hurt people. I don't think I'll ever shake it. The part about thinking you're a bad person, right? Because someone actually said that to me. They said, you're just an evil person. You're evil. It's like, wow. Down at the rec yard, the gym was familiar for me because my father used to score basketball games. So I became a regular spectator. You had some people who were, they actually played at the college level. And those games could get quite intense. And, you know, every Saturday we'd go down there and have like a round-robin tournament. But the best part of the games was when some silly old white guy like me actually made a basket. Can you imagine? One night after the games wrapped up, I complimented some of the guys on their play. I may have been the first person to ever compliment any of them. Because if you fell on the court, it wasn't, how can I help? It was, get up, Jersey, bitch. I can't really explain it, but we connected in a who's this goofy cracker kind of way. Perhaps by showing respect on their home court, they responded in kind. As our friendship developed, they would constantly tell me, all I ever wanted was an opportunity. Despite the adversity, my newfound colleagues still shared their hopes and dreams. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing to observe this in action, to see someone with all the disadvantages acting so hopeful. Everyone was coming up with business proposals and what they wanted to do and this and this, and it was such a positive experience in that way. It was crazy to me. I expected just the opposite. I could look up from the table in the library and see a future author on the typewriter, a future lawyer reading the statutes, or a future programmer on the computer. I'm here to persuade you to see the potential in them that I saw, to get past the mental barriers that exclude a large part of our society. to get past the mental barriers that exclude a large part of our society. When I heard that, it struck me that we might be prisoners of our own perceptions. The people in his story are curious, capable, hopeful, and yet we can't open to their potential because we're imprisoned by the label ex-con. Let's keep listening, but rather than thinking of our speaker as an ex-con, perhaps think of him as an ex-hedge fund manager or a future colleague. Even on the first day of a prisoner sentence, we should be planning immediately for the day of release. Most people are going to come out, they're going to do construction, or they're going to get their CDL for driving a truck. But when I saw how smart some of these guys were, I'm like, wow, 
there's so much more capability. And if you worked a prison job, you're going to get 19 cents an hour. There are some facilities where they actually have programs where you're actually working the whole day. But most of these jobs are just, you know, you're sweeping a couple of days a week. Other than a jobs program, there's no outlet for most inmates to really learn a trade or a skill. So I propose a partnership for companies to offer nano degrees to inmates so that inmates can master current in-demand skills. We know that prisoners who work for private companies have lower recidivism rates and are much more likely to get a job and keep it. Even on the first day of a prisoner sentence, we should be planning immediately for the day of release. By simply making connections that we care, we can pave a path for successful entry back into society. Some guys don't even receive a single piece of mail their entire sentence. But if you buy them a book, you capture their hearts and minds forever. A simple and kind gesture is transformative. To give you an example of what can be achieved, my best friend now works at the same multinational company as me. His family, friends, and the entire neighborhood celebrated after he showed them the job offer. I would say that it really meant his life to him. Basically, it would determine the direction of his life and whether or not he would go back. Network effects are dramatic. One night at work, we sat at opposite ends of the long conference table and spun around in our chairs for the panoramic view, not quite believing we had really done it. Two felons underneath the corporate logo seems impossible, but to our colleagues, we're just part of the team. Still, I can't shake the pervasive sadness from my friends who are struggling. I constantly think of them, knowing how hard they are trying. Many can't get a job, can't pay their rent, and can't provide for their families. Some are homeless, and some have died. Yet those who live still have hope, as expressed by my favorite character, Andy, from the movie The Shawshank Redemption. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Throughout my journey, I was told to keep the good inside for my own protection. In prison, kindness is mistaken as weakness. There were many rough days when I had to look in the mirror and ask, how do you like it? But I wouldn't have had it any other way. And prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you. As I listened to this talk and took in the speaker's sensitivity, I couldn't help but wonder, how did he land in prison in the first place? 
I found myself returning to a single sentence, the one that set everything in motion. I made a bad trade and changed a single number on a spreadsheet, confident that I could make it back. It was obviously a pivotal moment he had returned to again and again, probably asking himself the same question that came to me. Why did he do it? I had had a previous fund and that had done very well. Now, at the time, it was just so confident. I thought, ah, minor glitch. You know, by the next month, everything is going to be up and running, and then, you know, we'll raise more funds. But it didn't happen that way at all. I knew it was going to end badly no matter what, because once you make that first lie, you've already put yourself in an emotional state where especially if you're trading the markets, it will be impossible for you to even function or to have any kind of discipline. Once he told the first lie, the unraveling began, and he eventually turned himself in. The journey into confinement broke him down mentally and physically, to the point that people didn't recognize him as the same person. My family says, geez, you're almost back to your normal self, and you're pretty much back. But you don't even realize how far gone you were. What do you think they mean when they say you're almost back to yourself? The sense of humor, the personality, the the, the person they remember. My weight went from, I would say, 250 pounds to 390 pounds. While this was happening, I mean, I was basically a shut-in, ordering in food, wouldn't go out at all. It, it truly is a spiral, a deep, dark hole that you could never imagine. It was a very long way from where he began, in a quiet little suburb, mom and dad, four kids. It was... Uh, The Norman Rockwell, American dream, childhood, where really nothing goes wrong. I can't think of anything that was bad that happened in all those years growing up. And so this child of privilege is now determined to use his background to transform the identity of the ex-con. He wants to stand before you, walk into the job interview with you, convince the company to create the nano degree for you, as someone who still has a little bit of the Norman Rockwell to him. It's his way to return the favor to people with far less who helped bring him this insight. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing to observe this in action, to see someone with all the disadvantages acting so hopeful. It's also remarkable that this speaker has held on to these moments and the mandate he took from them. In the years following his prison term, he rebuilt his life and also held on to hope for all of them. What do you hope for your friends from the inside? That they arrive at the airport and that they have a cheering mass of people rooting for them to succeed. And as they walk down that path, that those people continue to cheer them like a never-ending parade so that they know that there are always people who will stand by them all along the way. I'm June Cohen. Thank you for listening. 
If you have something to share on Sincerely X, you can write to us at go.ted.com slash Sincerely X. That's go.ted.com slash Sincerely X. Next time on Sincerely X. I thought, man, I can push a button and have a burrito delivered by drone, but I have to pay $250 an hour and actually drive somewhere to talk to a therapist who won't even use data to analyze what's wrong with me? Yeah, that's a total fail. You'll find new episodes of Sincerely X on channels in the Audible app. Original music on this program is composed by the Holiday Brothers with sound design and mix by Alex Trajano. The Sincerely X production team includes Chloe Shasha and Kelly Stetzel with help from Amy Eason and Barb Allen. Our executive producers are Darren Triff and Colin Campbell. Creative leadership comes from Chris Anderson at TED and Eric Newsom at Audible. From TED and Audible, this is Sincerely X.